Um, raise your hand if you've ever been to prison. Uh, several years ago, I went there. I uh, might surprise you, but I did not go that time as a criminal. Um, but I went to, uh, because I was invited to go and to preach to um, those that were incarcerated. I'd never been before, and uh, I was quite intimidated by it because this particular prison was a um, one for like real legit criminals. I mean, people that are going to spend the rest of their life in prison. And uh, so I knew on that day I was going to be shaking the hands of rapists and murderers, thieves, and lifelong criminals. And uh, most of the guys that I was going to be preaching to were there for life. So I got invited, and and uh, and I uh, made my way past several guard stations and and beyond the. The fences with the barbed wire on the top and past the gates and and I made my way into the facility and and into the chapel where where there were hundreds of prisoners waiting for God's word and uh, some were there because they have a love for Jesus and others were there because it gave them an opportunity to do something other than just sit in their cell here I am standing in front of them and I'm trying to project like strength but really on the inside I'm terrified because uh, I had never been in this kind of environment before. But God put in my heart this passage, Acts chapter 12, which we're going to talk about today. And, and the moment that I was preparing prior to being in that prison, and then certainly in the moments that I prepared this week prior to being here with you, I uh, wondered if it was a bold move. You know, I'm going to go into this prison and hear the words that I'm going to say. I mean, these are the words I started with in that talk. When the church prays, God delivers people from imprisonment. And so I go into this prison, and I say those words, and can you imagine what happened? I mean, they went nuts. I mean, they went bananas. I mean, in this prison, you cannot stand. They could not stand. They were only allowed to sit, but they could wave their hands, and they could hoot and holler and all that kind of stuff. So when I said, when the church prays, God delivers people from imprisonment, they started hollering. And then I said, I want you to know right now, where I came from, there's a church of people praying for you that you would be delivered from imprisonment. And what do you think they did? I mean, they got even more excited. They were like, yeah, man, this guy, well, this guy's a ticket. He can come in here and get us out of prison. You know, my lawyer can't even do that, you know. Now, you may never get an opportunity to preach inside a prison. But every day you live, work, and play near people who are in prison. Maybe you live in a neighborhood that's imprisoned by false teaching. Or, or maybe you're in a marriage or you know of a marriage that's imprisoned by conflict. Or maybe you know a person that's imprisoned by circumstances that are beyond their control. Or a person that's cir- imprisoned by their own choices. Every day, all around us, we work, live, and play near people who are in prison. And maybe this morning, in an area of your life, you feel like you're in prison. Here's my hope today in the talk. My hope today... It's that God will stir in the heart of not only Neartown Church, but New City Church. A desire to pray with even greater tenacity. I hope that some of you today who are imprisoned by either your own choices or by a circumstance beyond your control will get some kind of deliverance. Maybe deliverance into repentance or maybe healing or peace in the midst of suffering. You see, the problem that exists all around us is that there are so many who are in prison and unaware that God works 
through Jesus to deliver. That's the message of the gospel. When we began this church seven years ago in this neighborhood, we knew we were coming into a neighborhood that was wonderful. Some of you don't live down here. And just so you know, those of us that do live down here, we kind of feel like it's the best area of town, which you would say certainly that your area of town's better. But we feel like it's the best area of town. We've got the best coffee, the best restaurants, the best art exhibits, the weirdest people to look at. You know, we've got all kinds of cool stuff that make it attractive to live down here. But one thing that also do exists down here is that people are imprisoned by a false belief. People are imprisoned by a misunderstanding of who Jesus really is and how it could actually impact their life. People misunderstand the fact that, that uh, they're imprisoned by a lie that Jesus is about religious institution and legalism and rules, and they don't quite fully get freed up to the truth that Jesus is about delivering people into a new life, the life they were created to live. Many people are living behind the locked doors of doubt and sin and ignorance. So here's the driving idea if you're taking notes. When the church prays, God delivers people from imprisonment. When the church prays, God delivers people from imprisonment. So I'm in this series called Something Different. And what we've said from the beginning is like, what do we do when we get to a place in our life where we say, God, we want something different? We tend sometimes to rely on our own strength, on our own intellect. But there's a point at which we, that doesn't work. And we say, God, we want something different. What do we do? And we've been talking for this entire series and into the new year about what it would be like to become people of prayer and a church of prayer, how would that allow for something different to exist in our individual lives, in our church, and in our community? And today we look at Acts chapter 12, where the church is brand new. I mean, it's just starting. It's, it's not very large. Jesus has been crucified. He's ra been raised from the dead. There are people that have heard the message about who he is and believe that he's been raised from the dead. They believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. And that through repentance and faith in Christ, they can be given new life. And the church is starting to spread. And uh, at first, the, po the, the political rulers saw Christians as just a part of Judaism, and they didn't really bother with it too much. But eventually, the Jewish leaders uh, and the political leaders saw Christianity as a problem among Judaism. And then the Jewish leaders wanted to do everything they could do to squash Christianity the way, as they called it. And one of the leaders in Jewish culture was a king by the name of he King Herod. There are several King Herods. This is Herod Agrippa for the Bible scholars in the room. And so Herod um, is uh, on the prowl. I mean, he's ready to put down this Christian movement. And we pick it up in uh, Acts chapter 12, verse 1. I'm going to read a few of the verses and uh, help you to understand what it means and how it helps us to, to more fully embrace the idea that when the church prays, God delivers people from imprisonment. So verse 1 says, About that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, which is a religious festival among the Jews. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Verse 5, this is a good one. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer <coughs> for him was made to God by the church. Earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. I love this part because it makes me wonder if, um, if the church was tempted to do something different. 
you know, like maybe they were tempted to devise a plan to try to break Peter out of prison. Maybe they were attempted to come up with a new social media strategy or a new graphic for the next sermon series. No, probably not because it didn't exist back then. It was a joke. Leave me alone. Okay, so um, but er, what they chose to do was <clears throat> earnest prayer was made for him by, to God by the church. You know, in the early church, when they got together, you know what they did most of all? They prayed. Why? Because they knew that what God was going to do in the community through them required God's work. It required God's hand. And they could not on their own do it. So here Peter's been arrested by the king. And uh, as I said, King Herod is trying to eradicate the spread of the Christian gospel. And this is the night before Peter is going to die. It was the last minute before his inevitable death. I want you to know that in your life, plans are being made for you. God has plans to deliver. Evil has plans to imprison and destroy you. So pick up in verse 6. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on the very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. He's heavily guarded. And the reason he's heavily guarded, do you know, is because on an earlier occasion, Peter escaped from prison. <laughs> They're like, we've got to keep an eye on this guy. Something about him, we can't seem to keep him down. So he's heavily guarded, and uh, Herod does not want him to get freed up again because it would weaken his position as a leader in the community. And I want you to notice something. Peter's sleeping. What do you do when you're struggling? When you're really aware of your imprisonment in an area, there's something difficult going on in your life. What do you do? I'll tell you what I do. I stay up at night. I wake up at night. I'm restless. I'm stressed. But Peter is sleeping, and I think this is striking that uh, this is told in the passage because it makes me think that when the church prays, people are freed up from the prison of worry and fear. Peter is suffering physically, but he, in the midst of it, is experiencing peace. He's restrained physically, but in the midst of it, he's experiencing peace. And so the story goes that an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side, and he said, get up quickly. And the chains fell off of his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Now, some might say that this was an escape by Peter, but what we see is that this is actually a deliverance. The angel is telling him what to do. Here's your instructions. Get up, dress yourself, put on your sandals, wrap your cloak, follow me. When the church prays, God gives instructions. God will tell you what to do. You don't have to worry about trying to escape on your own. God is going to deliver you. So the passage goes, and he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel, but he didn't know. I mean, he's like, what's going on here? He's, you know, maybe he's having a dream, thought it was a vision. But he passed the first and the second guard. They came to the iron gate leading into the city, and it opened for them on its own accord. And then he went out along the street, and immediately the angel left him. And then Peter came to his senses and was like, wow, I've just been delivered. I mean, this wasn't a vision. This actually happened. Here I am. I'm freed up. The guards are nowhere to be found. And what I want you to know is that when the church prays, God works miracles. We have to believe that. We have got to believe that when the church prays, God works miracles. I think the smarter we feel like we are and the more access we get to the information that's available, which one advantage of things like the Internet is that we have access to all kinds of information at all times, is we become more confident in our ability to work things out and less aware of how needy we are for God to work miracles. So when the church prays, God works miracles. One reason that some of you are imprisoned in areas of your life is because you're trying to do it on your own. And the church doesn't even know you have a need. 
I want you to think about something here. Peter's in prison. He gets freed up. The church is praying. There's just like a thought that entered my mind as I was preparing for this this week. I wonder if, um, if that was us and we knew that Peter was in prison. We would be praying that his suffering would be alleviated. But I'm wondering if this early church that gathered prayed for Peter's deliverance because they knew that if Peter was not delivered, that it would, um, in their minds, hurt the mission of God being advanced. You see, there's something about our prayers. When the church prays, God works miracles. But there's something about our prayers when we pray them in alignment with God's heart to seek and save the lost. You see, when we get together and we pray, if our prayers are all about, you know, so-and-so's ingrown toenail and, you know, so-and-so's, you know, dog who's missing, and those things are not necessarily wrong. I've had an ingrown toenail, and they're quite uncomfortable. Please, you know, I would call on you for prayer for that. But I don't care about dogs, so I'm not worried about all that. Um, But if, if we would think about praying as a church for miracles, not just so that we can have our discomfort alleviated and go about our business, but so that God can continue to advance his mission through us, I think there's more power. I really do. I think that what happened in this early church is that where they were praying for Peter and his deliverance and the situation, because they knew James had been killed already. And if Peter gets killed, it's another one of their leaders. And maybe in their minds, they would think, well, we would really be slowed down in this mission. And so their prayers as a church weren't just for Peter's comfort. They were, in fact, for the mission of God to be advanced, continually moving forward. And they knew that Peter was a part of it. So what if our prayers synced up with God's heart for the Christian gospel to spread to unreached people? Like, like how about God help my marriage, not just so we can get along, but because a strong Christian marriage is the greatest example of the world of Christ's love for the church. Or how about God provide for me financially? Not just so I can have more stuff and have less financial stress, but because I know that stronger finances enable me to give more generously to see the gospel taken to the ends of the earth. You see the difference? God, we want to pray for these things, not just so we're more comfortable in this life, but because we believe that if you answer these prayers, you will be able to more fully establish your kingdom in this part of the city and other part of the city. Those of you that are here, and for those of you that came in a little late that are part of Neartown Church, we have some guests here this morning. They're a part of a core team of a church that's being newly planted called New City on the, on the north side of town. And for those of you that are praying about your church, I wonder if your prayers for your church are so that you can have a church that you more like, or so that your church will flourish for the advancement of the kingdom in that part of the city, which we need. There's a difference. Not just, God, help this church to be established because it makes me feel more comfortable. But no, God, help this church to be established so that the light of Christ can shine more brilliantly in this neighborhood that's lost and dying and going to hell without Jesus. So God hears the church's prayer for Peter. And uh, maybe, just maybe, it's most effective because it's aligned with God's plan to free people from imprisonment. So, um, here's the thing also about about prayer. Um, 
sometimes when we pray as a church and things do not happen, we begin to lose hope. You ever have that happen? You pray for something, it doesn't happen, and you start to wonder whether or not God is real or if he cares or if he's powerful enough. Maybe God's not bigger than whatever situation you got going on. I learned this as a kid. When I was a kid, uh, I frequently prayed for my grandma. Raise your hand if you had a good relationship with, like, your grandma. There's just something special about them. She's no longer living, but as I look back on my early years, one of the most meaningful relationships in my life was with my grandma, and it was actually my stepdad's mother, and so I was grafted into their family um, when I was an adolescent. But as long as I can remember, my grandma was weak. She was frail. She was a frail old lady. And, I mean, looking back, I, mean, I, could, I could almost blow on her and she'd fall over. I mean, she was a weak, frail old lady whose body was imprisoned by the lingering effects of having polio as a kid. But I loved her so much. And, and so as a kid, as I was starting to understand prayer and my faith, I would pray that God would heal her. I'd be like, Lord, Granny got a bad leg. Please just heal her. I know you can do it, right? The Bible says right there, I mean, you can heal. You're doing stuff. Oh, God, would you heal her? And, uh, but he never did. And so over time through my teenage years, especially as I began to doubt God in my early 20s, I began to wonder like whether or not all of this is true because God, I began to lose hope because God did not answer one of the prayers that I had that I thought was a pretty good prayer. I mean, legitimate. Why would he not want to heal my grandma? But in looking back, I realized that the imprisonment she experienced with her weak body allowed her mind to be freed up to become one of the most theologically astute people I've ever known. She was a woman that, I mean, she had, couldn't have weighed 85 pounds. She had a knee that didn't bend, and so she always walked around with this cane to help her walk or to help her beat her grandchildren if needed. And um, so, so what she did a lot of was reading and studying. And she had a love for God and a love for theology. In fact, she took her one-car garage and she converted it into a theological library. She read every book prior to it being put in there, and there were thousands of books in there. And I can remember at her funeral being amazed. There were hundreds of pastors at her funeral that I'd never met. I preached her funeral. I looked out over the audience, hundreds of pastors from across the city. And what I learned was that though God had not answered my prayer, for her to be released from the imprisonment of her physical ailment, God actually freed her up so that m- her mind would be strong and she'd be given time to learn theologically and she became a counselor, a coach, a teacher to uh, the, the church uh, and all these pastors in this city. You see, sometimes God does not answer our prayers because actually... He has something else in mind that will have a greater impact on him working in the world. That's what he wants to do. The church should pray. We cannot be discouraged when God doesn't answer our prayers in the way that we ask him. So here's Peter. And apparently freeing him up is actually what God wants to do. He's going to uh, free him up in a really supernatural way. He's not done with Peter. So the story goes that he sends an angel to free him from prison, which is pretty cool, and, and uh, he's delivered. So Peter leaves the prison. He goes to the house where he knows that the Christians are gathered. He knocks on the door. Now, this house is actually probably in a yard, and there's a gate around the yard. And so there's a servant girl named Rhoda whose assignment is probably the gate. I mean, she's waiting at the gate. So he knocks on the gate, and uh, she says, uh, Peter, 
And uh, she doesn't believe it. So she shuts it, shuts it up, runs into the house and says, Peter's outside. And the people's like, you're crazy. It must be an angel. You know, she says, I don't know. So Peter, like, hello, you know, been in prison. You know, I need, you know, I need to come in. So Peter comes into the house. And, of course, they rejoice. Here's the thing. When the church prays, sometimes God surprises us by actually answering our prayers in the way that we ask. Isn't that awesome? I mean, we've got to believe that God will do what he wants to do. But sometimes you say, God, heal so-and-so or free up so-and-so or do this and do that. And God says, that's exactly right. That's exactly what I want to do. And I'm not sure how it all works. I'm not sure how many prayers have to be made so that God starts acting. And, and we, can, we can have a debate and a conversation about that all day long. But here's what I do know. Somehow our prayers affect the way God works in the world. I mean, you not praying isn't going to thwart God's purposes in the world. But somehow you praying impacts what God does in and through you. And God will answer prayers. And I wonder how many of you have been praying for something for a long time and you've given up believing God doesn't or won't answer that prayer. I would encourage you to keep praying. You're praying for your neighborhood. There's some people in this neighborhood that, that uh, have never walked into this church that I love dearly, and I am consistently praying that they be delivered from their unbelief. So Peter gets freed up. He goes to the house. And we, we found that when the church prays, God delivers. We also know that when the church prays and God delivers, the stories must be told. Why? Well, because God uses these stories to encourage others. So there they are at the house of John Mark. He was praying. Uh, Peter comes in. And, um, and actually, uh, John Mark it will play a significant role in the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. Peter, John Mark sees Peter get delivered as a part of this prayer, earnest prayer time. And that's one reason that, that John Mark is so encouraged to participate with Paul and Barnabas on the per- first missionary journey. And then Peter sent word to James, not the James who was killed, but the oldest brother Jesus, about the deliverance. And so this deliverance began to encourage the entire church. See, when the church prays and God delivers, the story must be told because it encourages all of us, right? Encourages all of us to believe. And there's a weird thing that happens, I think, sometimes in this part of the community. I think it has something to do when you're in an area where there's a high level of intellect and people are very educated. Sometimes we're hesitant to tell people we need prayer. And, and there's two reasons for that. One is I don't want anybody to know I'm struggling. And two is I don't want to burden anybody with a request. And the second one is what I experience more often. I don't want to let people know that I need prayer because my needs aren't as much as somebody else's. Well, it's foolishness. Because when the church prays, God delivers. I'm always struck by uh, how few prayer requests we get put on the connect cards that we provide. And I'm not beating you up, church. I'm really not. I'm just being honest with you. I'm always struck by how few people actually take advantage of writing prayer requests on that connect card so that the staff and the elders can pray. I'm always kind of struck by how few people take advantage of the prayer time at the end with the, with the elders, with the pastors. And again, I'm not beating you up, and I'm not saying it makes you any less spiritual in love of Jesus. But what I'm saying to you is this, that when the church prays, God works, and the stories must be told. When God does something in your life, you must tell the church because it encourages people. You know what? I've been praying for Anthony prior to him coming to faith in Christ for quite some time. And Anthony per- began participating in a loop group in my house and, uh, and in spite of the fact that he gets to now see an un 
uh, polished version of Russell and Jeannie in the Cravens household. He's continued, and, and to me, it's like we're going to tell that story today outside in the baptismal. See, when the church prays and God delivers people, the stories must be told. And here's what's going to happen when Anthony's baptized. It's not going to encourage him and his, and his mother and family. It's going to encourage you. It's going to encourage this church and a church on the north side of town. When the church prays and God delivers, a story must be told. Do you believe that God can deliver? So that day when I was preaching in that prison, it was unbelievable. A life-changing experience for me, and I've been back several times since. Some men were delivered. Now, when I first said, when the church prays, God delivers people from imprisonment, and they cheer, they might have cheered kind of laughingly, right? Like, oh, yeah, oh, this would be awesome. Get out of here. But by the end, some of them had been freed up from their shame and their guilt and their sin. And in a way that's far greater than their need for physical freedom, they had been freed from all these things that lead to sin and death. So here's my call to action, a few things. The church, and this is a, this is a cry to my church, that we must be praying in earnest for the prisoners. We all have all people in our lives that are in prison. And what we have chosen to do as a church is we're relying on the work of God to free people from imprisonment more than we're relying on flash and hype. I mean, we've said we're strategically moving in the direction of like we're going to preach God's word and we're going to try to do things well, but we're not relying on hype to see God use us in the lives of people. We're going to rely on what the scripture says is the most powerful way to access the power of God, which is the proclamation of the gospel and prayers and ministry to one another. All of you have people in your life that are in prison, prison by illness, prison by disbelief, and prison by relational strife. My question for you is, what is your first response to that kind of imprisonment? What is our first response to that kind of imprisonment? Is it um, a tactic? persuasion, intellect. And, and if those things don't work, we might move to prayer. But what if our first response to those imprisonments was prayer? What if your first response whenever you find out about a need in a person's life was to pray and if you feel led to make the church aware of it so we as a church can pray about it together? At Neartown Church, one of the things that we're doing in our seven-year vision um, plan is we're committing 10% of the time we program for anything to prayer. 10% is kind of an arbitrary number. We think it is kind of cool that it's a tithe, you know, kind of the idea, whatever. It doesn't really matter. But this means that during a 75-minute Sunday service, we're moving in a direction where seven and a half minutes of the time that we're together is going to be spent in prayer. And you say, well, that 10% doesn't sound like it. Seven and a half minutes of 75 minutes will feel like a lot to you as you're learning how to be a prayerful church. Uh, our staff and our elders, when we, every time we meet, we're going to spend 10%, at least 10% of the time in prayer, and sometimes longer. Our loop groups, which are midweek groups, we're, we're, gonna, we're moving in a direction where we're spending, uh, we're, we're ratcheting up the, the prayer time and the list of priorities for what happens so that we're spending 10%, at least 10% of it in prayer. 
uh, personally, I'm, I'm trying to adjust my schedule and say no to more meetings and, and opportunities and so that I can spend more of my own time, daily work hours in prayer. Why? Here's why. Because much of what we really need to happen in people's lives will only happen if God delivers. We will pray for the sick to be healed. We believe it. The unchurched to find a church. The unbeliever to believe. We'll pray for those circumstances those that imprison people uh, to be dealt with by God so that they can be freed up to experience the peace of life with Christ. So the church must pray in earnest for the prisoners. This is our heartbeat of our church right now as we think about how we're discipling our people. Second thing we must do is we must open our eyes and ears to the needs of people around us so we pray for them. I love it. I was talking to one of you at the door, and uh, they said to me, I can't believe this week because if you are new to this church, last Sunday we launched this big campaign for this year where we're, we're gathering and praying for and following up on 10,000 prayer requests as a church. That's, that's our one-year goal. If by the end of the year we do nothing else other than pray for and follow up on 10,000 prayer requests, we'll feel like we're stepping in the right direction. So I was talking to one of you out, and, and, uh, and, and you said to me, um, it was amazing how easy it is just to notice the needs for prayer all around me. I have in my back pocket right here this, this little prayer log, and we've made available to all those of you that are part of Neartown Church. If you're here from New City Church, you can grab a donut, but don't grab one of these. Um, we, these are um, our little prayer logs, and, um, and, and it's a way for us to prioritize praying for others. I'm tempted to tell you how many I have, but it would either impress you, um, which would not be okay because I want you to be impressed by me, or, or disappoint you. But what you can do is just open your eyes and become aware of the needs of the people that are around you because all around you are people who have needs for prayer, all around you. So-and-so says, hey, I'm having a rough day. Um, and, you, and in your mind, you don't even have to say I'm praying for you. You could just, just in your mind, just make a mental note and then jot it down in your prayer log. And then you want to pray for it, and then you want to follow up with them. This week, I, I uh, asked uh, one of the men that's a friend of mine that is, does not share my faith in Christ. I said, hey, how can I pray for you? And he said, oh, don't, don't waste your prayers on me. And uh, pray for, you know, there are other people that need your prayers. And I said, well, i got a whole bunch to spend, and uh, so, so you, can, you can tell me. And I pray for all my friends. And, uh, and it got a little weird, you know, got a little, you know, funny back and forth or whatever. Um. But eventually he said, you know, uh, I'm looking for a job and uh, a sense of purpose. And, uh, and I didn't follow up with, like, well, if you die, deny, do you know if you go to heaven or hell? You know, I said, all right, man, I'm going to pray for you. And you know what will happen this week is I'll go up to him and say, hey, man, I've been praying for you. How's it going? How's the job search? It's that simple. The needs are all around us. We just have to notice them. It's amazing um, when we become more mindful of the needs for prayer all around us, how not only does it do something for the people, but it does something in us. It helps us to more fully understand what it means to care for other people. I don't know about you, but sometimes I go about during the week and I'm so focused on what's right in front of me, what's right in my own life, that I can lose sight of like actual needs in the community. But with this prayer initiative and this goal of 10,000 follow-ups and prayer requests, I know that we've all got to be opening our eyes and our ears for the needs of those that are around us. 
third thing I would just encourage you to do is a call to action is that you need to take advantage of the opportunities for you to communicate your prayer needs. As a church, we want to know how to pray for you and so that we can share with our leadership and so we can also follow up with you and what's going on. And you say, well, what's going on in my life is not more important than what's going on in somebody else's life. You know what? Don't believe that lie. We could all find somebody in our lives whose life is more screwed up than ours. I mean, let's just be honest about that. If you want to feel better about yourself, that's helpful, actually. That's a helpful tactic is find somebody whose life is a little more screwed up than yours. But it doesn't mean that what's going on in your life and what feels like an imprisonment or at least um, a little bit of got you in handcuffs, it doesn't mean that that's not important. You see, I've got this situation at work going on, and, and, uh, and I, I need prayer. I need God to do something. I've got some strife in my marriage. I need God to do something. I've got a family member who's struggling. I mean, that's, right, that's about all of us all the time. We've all got a, that one family member who's always struggling. Ask, take advantage of opportunities we provide for you to communicate your prayer needs. As a staff, one thing that we are going to get paid to do this year is spend a lot of time praying for you. But we're not the only ones. We're also discipling you to be praying for one another. There is power in prayer. And do you believe that when the church prays, God delivers? And one last thing I would say to you, for those of you that are here that have not yet crossed over the line of faith, I want to challenge you to pray to God and ask him to reveal to you in a clear and compelling way the good news about Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible has good news, and the good news is this, that Christ's sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection from the dead makes it possible for your sin to be forgiven and for you to be given new life. And one of the things that we pray for as a church is an opportunity to share that message with you. You don't have to live anymore imprisoned by your unbelief. You say, well, what do I do? You know what? You can simply just talk to God and say, God, I need to be freed up from my unbelief. Would you help me to believe? When the church prays, God delivers. Can, let, we, can we just pray right now and think on these things? God Almighty, we love you. <coughs> God, thank you for your word. I pray, God, that you would um, stir our hearts, not just um, interest our minds, but stir our hearts to believe that when the church prays, that you deliver. So there are some people in here, God, that need to be delivered from an imprisonment of unbelief, an imprisonment, some kind of physical healing maybe. Deliver from sin, ongoing area of temptation and sin. I pray you just work that miracle today. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just work in these next few moments. We love you, Lord, and we now <coughs> respond to you. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.